Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the games that matter to them. Today, we have with us Matt Boyer, who will be discussing... Here's the music comes in. We discussed uh, Final Fantasy. Uh, Matt, I apologize that that was... That's pretty much all. I, like, I know so little about Final Fantasy, so I'm like, okay, what's a song that has final in the title? Well, of course, uh, Final Fantasy. Nice, nice little play on words there. Yeah, that's all I could come up with. Because, <laughs> of course, Matt, I don't know if this does this for you, but, but when you hear that song, does that plant in your head any visual? Like, do you have a strong association with that song? You may not. Um, the association I have with that is a, a little bit strange, and it would be actually an independent wrestler named Brian Danielson, who used that as his entrance music in Ring of Honor. Wow, that is strange, Matt. That that goes <laughs> that goes like one level of strange deeper than I thought I was going. Uh, so, so I guess you're not an Arrested Development fan. That that, that uh, no, I've I've never seen Arrested Development. Oh, Matt, well, now here's the, before we even get started, here's where I need to re- reproach you. you. You have never seen Arrested Development. Do you know, Matt, that that is arguably the best thing ever on television? <laughs> I, I've heard, but and I've, I've never caught it myself. Well let, me, well, let me tell you, if you ever get around to watching Arrested Development, which I recommend, uh, there's a little something for everyone in that, uh, it will completely displace this, re- I, well, I'm assuming, it will displace this wrestler as far as associating that song. There's a character in Arrested Development who, whenever I hear that song, I, th- I think of this character. So, uh, Well, uh, so you, before we get to, to Final Fantasy, uh, I want to talk a bit about you. You live in Missouri, but you are yes. not Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri, right, outside of there. Um, yeah, I'm on the Kansas side of the state line. How close are you to Kansas? If you had to like, if you if you were involved in some police shenanigans and you had to escape escape the state police, how long would it take you to get to the the border of Kansas? Uh, to get out of Kansas into Missouri, uh, it's maybe about ten fifteen minutes. Um, yeah, we're in Overland Park, Kansas, so it's it's not far to not far to the state line. We had to do the city proper pretty often. I see. So you're actually I, then I was confused. You're on the Kansas side, not on the Missouri yeah. side. I see. Uh, well, that's good. If if you do get in trouble with the police, just ten minutes and they can't touch you. So good. Uh, yeah, it's a good little escape a little uh, escape hatch to have. For me, it's like three hours to Mexico, and that's assuming there's no traffic. Realistically, I, it would take five hours to flee to a, another country or state line. So yeah. Uh, now you're not from there. You said you were from Virginia, but I'm not sure I believe that because you don't sound like a guy from Virginia. What's going? <laughs> I grew up in a very, very small town named Stanton, Virginia, and somehow I escaped without an accent. I'm not quite sure how that happened. I lived there until I was 18 or 19. Then I moved uh, out here. And while ever, you know, my wife has mentioned that all, my entire family lives in Stanton, and everyone there talks like they're out straight out of Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. yet everyone around my age speaks completely flat, no accent at all. The only excuse I can think of is that I only had, of all the friends I had in high school, I would wager less than half of them were actually American. My best friend was Austrian. Ah. I knew a couple girls from England. Um, we had a Russian that we were all friends with. And for some reason, I think all of that meshed together to give all of us no accent at all. 
is there like a, a diplomatic corps headquarters in Stanton, Virginia? What's going on that there were all of these students from around the world? I have no idea. Um, Stanton is uh, uh, the reason I, well, there are a lot of reasons that you leave wherever you grow up. The one for Stanton is that it's just a backwater, tiny little town. The average age is somewhere in the 40s. And it's just it's incredibly old, incredibly boring, and they hate teenagers. So as soon as you <laughs> as soon as you turn eighteen, you clear out. And I was no exception. Now, when you say incredibly tiny, uh, paint a picture for me. How how tiny is Stanton? Um, we had one high school, mm-hmm. one middle school. Uh, it's about twenty two thousand people, and I think the population is dropping by like a percent and a half each year. That's America, yeah. But it's it is it's shrinking. Uh, how big was your graduating class? Uh, somewhere between two hundred fifty and three hundred, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, in a in a town that small, so you're a teenager, you're in high school. What do you do for fun? Um, I played a lot of video games. Uh-huh. I did a lot of a uh, tabletop role playing, and we did a lot of leaving the town. <laughs> Like drive road trips somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's usually just somewhere else in Virginia, but you know, there's there's nothing to do in Stanton except uh, wander around and what passed for downtown and explore the catacombs under the city. Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> you guys had cat? No, come on. You're pulling my leg. I I am not pulling your leg. Wait a uh, minute. There's catacombs under Stanton. My I. I, I grew up in Little Rock, and we didn't get... That's a big town. We didn't get catacombs. What's going on? Uh, I never went very deep in, but there's a little theater in downtown called the uh, the Dixie Four Cinemas that my friend Billy and I, we both worked there, and in changing the soda machine one day, we found, I swear to God, a, fel- a fake wall in the basement of this theater that led to a set of stairs heading down. Um, well, we tell me down, you went down there. You went down there. Okay, go on. We we went down there, um, not for very long, and it was these weird open caverns, and it creeped us out sufficiently enough that we decided if we were going to go down there at any point later on, it was going to be with something in the you know the idea of a fully automatic, <laughs> some kind of self defense. But there's got to be zombies down there. You know that. It has to be zombies down there, and they're probably serving on the city council to this day. <laughs> But, now, so did you not? Did you not go back and you didn't speed? We had a chance to really go down there and explore. They uh, they they walled it back up. What are they hiding, Matt? What are they hiding? I have no idea. But anyone who's been to Stanton, um, my wife included, and uh, most of my friends I know, would tell you it's one of the weirder little towns out there. You know, I remember. The, I you're, you're reminding me of a time. I guess it was junior high. Uh, I, I remember being around the school like after it had uh, closed. Well, after everyone had gone home, I guess you don't close the school. I was there for a chess club or whatever. Uh, and I remember wandering around afterwards and, and finding uh, some steps that went up to an area above the school full of like all of these ducts and pipes. And uh, the movie hadn't even come out by that point, but it, it would have been like something out of Alien, uh, the, the ship. Huh. And I just remember, in my young imagination, remembering back on that, it was such this, like, cool, scary, hidden place. And I'm sure, you know, to to my kid mind, there were, like, monsters. So I can totally imagine you guys discovering these catacombs down there. Uh, I can't believe you didn't explore, though. You're you're a terrible video gamer, Matt. (laughs) 
I'm a terrible video game. I know what it's, I know there are zombies under there, and I'm probably not going to find an ammo crate behind a fake wall. <laughs> That's a good point. There may not have been health packs down there, for all you know. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, what possessed you to move? So, so real quick, you met. You're married to a woman named Megan. You met her in Stanton. She's from there as well. No, she. Um, I met my wife in an online writing workshop, actually, and that ended. You know, turns out she lives out here, so I visited here a couple times, and then worked around D.C. enough to get enough money to move, and then came out here uh, in 2003. I want to say it was, and I've been here ever since. Mm-hmm. How long have you guys been married? We have been married since um, October of two thousand, October twelfth, two thousand eight. You boy, you got that like you got that out real quick. Well done, well played. She's also <laughs> sitting right behind me right now. <laughs> oh, is she, can can she talk? Um, she might be. Able to, would she be too shy to answer a question? Uh, would you be too shy to answer a question? She can answer a question. Do we okay. have the headset? Yeah, give the headset to Megan. I'm going to uh, go get a Coke or something. I want to talk to Megan for just one second, if you don't mind. All right. Here it is. I'm a little terrified right now. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Megan. My name is Tom. Sorry to ambush you like this. Oh, that's uh, all right. Now, I want to know, so you met your husband in an online writing thing. You guys are both writers, I take it? Is that part of how you met? Sort of. He, uh, I unfortunately have kind of fallen off writing since I was in college. I, uh, I think I'm still trying to figure out what kind of writing I want to do. Mm-hmm. And he is still writing. He's working on a book, and he doesn't want me to tell you about it because he's turning bright red right now. Oh, Megan, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Awesome. <laughs> now, what I'm curious about, Megan, so you meet this guy, you, you sort of get to know him online. Tell me about finding out that he's a video game playing dork. Like, I'd actually, I'm assuming, Megan, that that's not really something you're into. I could be wrong. Um, I have sitting right next to me on our end table my very own Nintendo DS, which is the second one I have owned because I had to have the gold one that has the Triforce on it. Wow. Okay, so I'm, I'm asking, so I should be asking him, what is it like to find out that this cool chick you just met <laughs> in the video games? <laughs> what, you know, it's... I had I had two brothers and no sisters growing up, so entertainment was, you know, it was either play alone with my Barbies or play Mario <laughs> Brothers with Joe. So <laughs> I have been a video game nerd for as long as he has. Now then, can I ask, and then I'll get, I'll get back to Matt, uh, is it something that you guys uh, share as a couple much? Are there any games, like, like, do you enjoy watching him play? Are there anything you guys do cooperatively? Uh we do more, um, I, he is better at games than I am, <laughs> by far. I will watch him play, it was one of the, it was like one of our main pastimes for a long time when we first started dating, is I just, he introduced me to Final Fantasy, for example. Ah. I just sit and watch him and get sucked into these great stories. And then we played, uh, when World of Warcraft came out, and he was finally able to get a copy. Mm-hmm. I, I created a character on his server just to try it out. Got that character to level 20 and figured I should probably buy myself a copy. (laughs) We played that cooperatively a lot, and uh, the same thing with uh, Lord of the Rings Online. We have a couple of characters that we'll uh, do quests together with, and then I have games that I just play by myself. So it's something we do and do together a lot and talk about a lot. And what is in your DS right now? Right now, you will be pleased to know, it is Rune Factory 2. 
Oh, the one of the one of the Harvest Mooney kind of things. Oh yeah. Oh yep. good. Yeah, those are awesome. You know what I'm sitting here with right now, Megan? Don't tell anyone this because it's slightly embarrassing. I have looking at me the most adorable Harvest Moon cow and Harvest Moon horse. I don't tend to keep a lot of like little doodads or action figures, but I have these two little guys right here by my computer looking at me, and I'm I'm petting my head as we speak. So how sad. Well, I have I have a sheep, a little Harvest Moon um, sheep up there. Oh. I wasn't aware any such thing existed. I, I, wow, a it, sheep. I forget. I think we found it on eBay. Where did the sheep? It was eBay. Yeah, it was. It came as you know a, a pre-order thing for one of the older games. That I also have the chicken. Yes, he reminds me. And a chicken. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't realize the sets. I didn't. Wow. Well, that's. I need to complete my collection. <laughs> now don't, Megan. Don't tell anyone that I said that I have these little stuffed animals here. I won't say a word. It's between it's you and I. Between me and the internet. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let me talk to Matt, and I appreciate you letting me ambush you. <laughs> no problem. Here he is. I don't appear to be in any trouble. Huh, so someone is writing a book and doesn't really want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, that's very cool that you're keeping up with that, Matt. Can you can you tell me a bit about how you write? As a, So writing a book is no easy thing. I mean, that takes a lot of commitment, a lot of work. Uh, that's something that you're doing? Uh, that is something that I'm doing. I am, I would guess, probably about 75 to 80% of the way through. I've written about 125 to 130,000 words on it so far, I think. Now, was this part of what, because I know on the on the forum there have been a bunch of, like, uh, you know, those novel writing month things. Is this part of one of those things, or is this just something you decided to do on your own? Uh, it's something I decided to do on my own, but I also used it for the National November Writing Month thing, where you're right, supposed that's what to, I think. right? Yeah, you're you're supposed to use something new, but um, I just you know resumed what I'd been working on and had kind of sat down for a while, and so it's uh I've been that's probably when I really got into it was back in November, and I've written probably another yeah you know, like seventy thousand words on it since, so I'm not really keeping up that pace, but I'm still working pr- you know pretty hard on it. And uh, it's it's really fun. I love writing. It's now the you, idea of being able to create something. It's it's very appealing to me. You have a day job, I know, so it's not like you get to sit around and do this all day. Is this something that you try to have to force yourself to do every day? Is it something you get around to on weekends? Uh, what's um, your process? I, re- I try and write every day. Everything I've been told and everything I've read and everything I've heard is that to write, the key is to write. Just, you know, every day, put something down on paper. It doesn't matter if you scrap it the next day, but always keep writing because it's too easy to fall back out of it. And even still, though, I try and do that. It is it is really easy to fall back out of it. Right. It's like it's like a muscle. It's like working out. It's like uh, it's like exercise. I mean, it's like going for a run, a run you know. It's like even if it's tedious, you don't want to do it. It's just something you got to force yourself to do, yeah. Uh, now, I want to be respectful of... Your own, like your privacy for how you work. I don't know if you're the kind of guy who feels comfortable talking about what kind of writing you do or what you're writing about. Can you say anything about what you're doing, or would you rather not? I don't mind. Okay. It's a a fantasy novel. It's you know a little bit of a swords and sorcery, although it's actually um, not exactly inspired by, but a lot of the the ideas behind the world and that kind of kind of style of fantasy I'm writing is actually the game I'm going to be talking most about today, which would be Final Fantasy XII. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the title I've chosen for it, and it's a title I've had bouncing around my head for a number of years, is Popular Anarchy. And 
Uh, it's kind of equal parts, um, you know, fantastic adventure and, you know, trying to actually do some, some politics in there, too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's going to be successful or not, but I'm having a great time writing it, and that's that's the important thing right now. Do you, when you write, is it, are you laying down bits and then adding them on to the end? Or are you constantly going back and reworking uh, earlier parts? Uh, how, how, does it, how, does it, how does it fall out for you? Um, I, I have made myself, I've, I've made myself swear that I'm not going to go back and look at anything I've written until I've finished. Because that's why it took me a month to write the first chapter, and since then <laughs> I've been barreling through them uh, with you know, a couple days of work. So I'm trying to get the entire first draft done before I you know, go back and start editing anything. And when I'm writing, I write and you know, just usually pull up Google Documents, and I've got two up. I've got using my outline in front of me. I've got what I'm actually working on, and then I have another one where I'm keeping track of all the changes I'm going to make when I finish. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of editing it as I go, but if I get sucked into changing what I've already written, I'm never going to finish. Now, let me ask you about something that I sometimes struggle with, uh, and I'm curious if it's a struggle for you. Talk to me about character names. Is that difficult? Are you happy with what you've got? And can you share with us one cool character name that you like that you've come up with? Um, sure. Uh, as far as character names go, um, sometimes it's fairly easy. I think when I have I have... You know the the adventuring part that makes up my main group. There are seven people in it, and I don't think I had any trouble coming up with any of their names. Mm-hmm. But there is a supporting character in my novel who right now has the last name of Jones because I have no idea what to give her <laughs> otherwise. That's just a placeholder I, name, I take it. So when I finish, I'm going to do a find and replace on Jones <laughs> and put in a real name. Uh, does does this character have a first name or just Jones right, right now? Uh, first name is Vienna. Vienna. Uh, last, Last name is Jones, so I, you know, I, I, I had her in the outline, and then I and I had the outline like a year ago, and then I actually started writing, and then I realized I had never given her a last name, and it became important in chapter two. <laughs> so just like you know, slap something down and keep going. I'll come back to it later. I, I imagine it might not fit with your universe, but I have to say I, I'm fond of the name Vienna Jones. That's that version. <laughs> now you mentioned earlier that you worked in a theater. As a kid, uh, like a movie theater, right? Yes. Uh, how, how old? Like this is when you? I guess you were a teenager. Uh, I was sixteen or seventeen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like taking tickets or selling popcorn or everything. Like you projectionist. What did you do at this movie theater? Um, it was a tiny little theater, so I did basically everything. We had um, ah, this was ninety eight or I think it's nineteen ninety eight, and so we were the second run theater. You know, the actual you know, Regal Cinemas was where new stuff came in. And we were using technology from the 1970s to run these films. So we had to you know, thread the projector and pray that the spools holding the film didn't just fall over, which did happen once. What does that mean? Uh, that you have to, like, stop the movie? That and means, re- well, that, yeah, that means that, you know, the, when they're threading it into the projector, you've got the, the entire, you know, all the film wrapped on, you know, there's just, just the metal spool or whatever and when that falls over it means you've got a couple miles of film just spread out over the floor <laughs> uh and did that that did ever happen yes that did that did happen and you then have to go down and tell the people watching the movie i'm sorry the movie screwed up you can have your money back yeah that um although we didn't have a whole lot of people and the tickets were only two bucks each so it wasn't too bad ah, right. uh and was that is that a fun job for a teenager 
Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, got to, I saw more movies that summer than I probably have since, even. Um, you know, if you go free, you're going to watch whatever they put up there. Right, right, right. Uh, what other jobs did you have as a kid? Um, what else did I do? I didn't... Did you ever deliver I, papers? I, d- I never delivered papers. Um, I think I... I worked at the theater for a while, and then I climbed radio towers for a summer. What? Is, whoa! What does that mean? That that's not a job. <laughs> you can get paid to climb radio towers. Um. Yeah, uh, I worked for a uh, the, the company my you know dad worked for actually for the summer right before I went to uh, I spent a year at college. I uh, climbed uh, you know like cell phone towers to work on them, you know, build them, change antennas at the top or whatever. So. I spent a summer about 250 feet in the air, and you know, attached to the size of a metal rod, about oh, uh, you know, about you know, full arm's length around. Wait, Matt, that's that's insane. I mean, that your your catacomb story now—that's nothing compared to this. What isn't that? That's scary, yeah. Um, I, I was never really intimidated by it, which is we, I hate climbing ladders, but I had no problem climbing the side of a tower. I felt a lot more. I, I, I feel secure on those because you're, you're belted to them like you know, three different ways, and when you get to the top of a tower, the harness is set up where you essentially just brace off it, and you're sitting on air as you work on the side of it. I'm getting queasy just hearing you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if I have to get on a ladder to do something, I feel like it's going to fall over. You know, the entire time I'm up there, so I'm always on edge in the ladder. But I found that to be really relaxing. Wow, wow, that's insane to me. Uh, do you remember the first time you were like, I'm going to start this job? Did you have any dread or trepidation about climbing way up there and fixing stuff? Or were you just like, yeah, whatever, I'll do it? Uh, there, there was some dread. There was a, it, was, it was pretty nerve-wracking right up until I like, started going up, and then it was just, oh, sure, fine, whatever. The, the worst part of them is being on one of those when there's a storm coming in because it's a race to get back down before lightning starts going. Wow, Matt, that's really cool. That's like that's like a a, a really that, that's a, you're like an adventure hero. You're up on a 250 foot tower in a storm now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I once worked. Uh, one of the jobs I did as a kid was working construction. Uh, we were pouring a, a water treatment plant outside Conway, Arkansas, and just pouring concrete. Uh, and I remember at one point having to get up on top of a maybe a 20 foot tall concrete wall. Uh, to, I don't know, we're pulling the studs out of the side of it after you pour the concrete. And I remember just being kind of freaked out. Like, even that height, and, and this was like a non-union job, I remember seeing a guy get his, his calf basically gouged by a nail when a board fell. I mean, this was the sloppiest job in the world. Uh, and here I am up on a 20-foot wall, and I just remember, like, getting vertigo and thinking, I, I need training or something to be up here. This isn't right. <laughs> I can't uh, but it was right after also I had tried for the first time um, uh, chewing tobacco, which will also make you dizzy. So chewing tobacco and getting up on a 20-foot wall don't really go together. Uh, so I'm really, I, yeah, I'm really impressed with you. That's, that's something else. Uh, now, uh, I also, so you're working on a book. I want to mention uh, just real quick, uh, you, you've done something for me. Like I, let me just, uh, I'll start with it. Getting gifts is hard. Like, it's really hard to get somebody a gift. Uh, and when you get something that really hits, that really works well, 
it's just it's such a fantastic memory. And I, I think probably the best gift I've ever been given was from my mother for Valentine's Day. I remember being in, in junior high, and, and just Valentine's Day was just so stupid. You go to school with a bunch of little cards that you give to all the girls, and you collect cards, and it, it just was, it was a miserable occasion for a little dorky kid like me. And I remember, and you know, and your mother gives you a Valentine's Day card too, or maybe you know, maybe you get candy. Whoop de doo. So one year, my mother, this is when I was building model airplanes gave me, for Valentine's Day, a model B-25, uh, which is a bomber that, uh, that uh, I think it was mostly notable for uh, uh, Captain Mitchell. You know, a, a, a Captain World War II decided to try to demoralize the Japanese. They were going to bomb the mainland, but we didn't have any bases close enough. So we needed some sort of mid-range bomber that we could try to take off of an aircraft carrier. And this, this fellow, uh, I think it's Captain Mitchell, and I may be wrong about his name. It's called a B-25 Mitchell. Anyway, this fellow decides he's going to take off one of these mid-range bombers, which are these big airplanes from a carrier, and bomb the mainland in Japan. Uh, and they did this, and it was a daring raid. It didn't have a lot of strategic consequence, but uh, you know, it, 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 it was notable that we could reach the mainland of, of, of Japan. So I got a model for one of these bombers for Valentine's Day for my mom, and that was so cool. I just felt like, oh, mom, that's like so thoughtful, you know, it, instead of the stupid card. Uh, so I'll always remember that. But second place, Matt, is a gift that you did for me for uh, the Secret Santa thing on quarter to three. <laughs> I just—I was so touched by this. What you did is you took all of these columns that I've written over the years called Shoot Club, and you, you got them bound up, and you did a cover for it, and you put my picture on the back, and you even hunted down little quotes to go in the front page as if it had been, like, reviewed or something from people talking about Shoot Club. And I have it sitting here right, ne- right here next to... If I were to own stuffed animals, I'm not saying I do, but if I were to own stuffed animals, it's sitting here right next to them. I mean, I can, I'm looking at this thing right here. Uh, and it was just such a touching, thoughtful gift. And I, I just really want to thank you for that, Matt. And it, it, even more, it means even more to me, Matt, now that I know that you understand the creative process of writing. Uh, so uh, you did that for me for Secret Santa, and I, I still have this idea that I want to make these available for people to buy at some point. Um, and then donate the money to charity. So at some point, I want to sort of carry on what you did and make this available to others. But I also really, really want to thank you for doing that. That was just such a cool idea. So Of course. Um, when uh, – who is it, is it? Is it one of the Ryans, I think, that organizes the Secret Santa thing? I'm, I'll have to correct this immediately, like, once it's posted and say who it is. But um, when I got your name for that, the first thing I thought was just, you know, holy crap, I have to come up with something for the guy who runs the boards. <laughs> I don't stand a chance. But that's the first thing that came to mind, and then it was a uh, a mad dash to figure out if I could get that done before the deadline. And it didn't make the deadline. It made it like a couple days after. But um, now I, I remember going through, and someone, again, I'll have to check and see who it was, but someone had gathered all the links to those in one place on quarter to three. So I'm, you know, I was going to those and pulling up each shoot club and, you know, putting them in a Word document then trying to get them all arranged so it, you know, went from page to page well and had the right headers and everything. And then it was really fun also to go through and, you know, because most of the quotes about it came from people commenting on the post on quarter to three. Mm-hmm. And so it was fun just to hit each one of those and see what everyone was saying. And, um, 
I think I, I put one of my own in there even when because uh, I always thought Shoe Club was one of one of the neatest things out there. And yeah, I made two versions. I made two copies of that book, and I have the other one upstairs on the shelf. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> well, well, my mother when I told my mother about it, she was immediately like, "Oh, I I want one." And uh, so it, it, yeah, at some point, I need to go through the process again because you, you graciously sent me the PDFs to do it, and I just have to figure out like how to get it printed out like you did. But uh, you know that makes it all the more precious that only two of these exist <laughs> in the world. And it- <laughs> Well, thank thank you for that. You were you were the most awesome Secret Santa a fellow could ever hope for, and it, it really takes a lot to come close to getting a model B seventeen for Valentine's Day. Which, that, that is rarefied company. That that really is, yeah. Because you know, I, <laughs> can you ever remember a gift you got for Valentine's Day? A uh, gift that I got for Valentine's Day, um, especially for a dude, I think. <laughs> I, I'm not. Nothing's really coming to mind. Um, and I can say it's my wife sitting behind me because we actually don't do anything for Valentine's Day. Her birthday is three days right before it, so ah. she always felt like it was getting ignored. So <laughs> please make a big deal about that instead. Right. Here is your birthday present and your Valentine's Day present. Right. <laughs> now, before we talk about uh, Final Fantasy, which uh, you, I'm, I'm so mystified by why you want to talk about this. I can't wait to hear about it. You were also a Dominions 3 fella. I, I am a Dominions 3 player. And, Are you uh, currently in a game, yes? I am currently in... Technically, I'm in two games, but I just got eliminated from one of them, so it's, I'm, I'm down to one. Okay. Uh, and this is the... Now, Now explain to those of us listening who see the threads but maybe don't click on them. There's, I think it rivals even the Lost thread in terms of how long it's been going, how much... Uh, how many posts are in it. There's, there's a massive, massive... Dominion's three thread, isn't there? Yeah, there is the uh, the unofficial all-purpose mega thread. Uh, the only I'm sitting from my computer right now. The only thing larger than it is the bargain thread, and we're up to ninety-three hundred posts. Now, isn't there some rival upstart thread as well for Dominion's three, like quarter to? Uh, we've, we've had a, a couple um, quarter to dawn, and then there's one that it's it's ADV, and I don't remember what the words are, but um, some people to try and keep those games from getting lost because we have four or five games going concurrently right now, mm-hmm. um, made their own threads for it, which which is fine because we all invade those anyway and talk about it. So, and what's going on with the Dominion's three games these days? Um, I think we had kind of a a, a resurgence of newbies, uh, myself among them. That yeah, you know, I, I got the game based based off of two things. Uh, one, I heard that uh, Bruce Garrick did the manual, and that was 300 pages. And I love old manuals, and so hearing there was a, a strategy game with a 300-page manual, I was sold immediately. And I also remember the Tom versus Bruce about it, and uh, I think at that point it was still CGW. Mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned before, I've probably purchased 10 games just based off of Tom vs. Bruce columns because I love, I don't really like reviews, but I love reading about, reading after action reports of people playing the games. Mm-hmm. And so Dominion sounded fascinating. And so I, I picked that up, and then it was it was very dense. It's a very large game with a lot going on. And I never really got into it until I started reading the forums for it and stuck my head in that thread and posted a little bit and then just asked, okay, does it do... 
does anyone want to start a game for people who have no idea what they're doing, and we can just hit our heads against the wall until we figure it out and then talk about it after? And got some feedback for that. We started the uh, September Rain game, uh, which has on turn 94 now, I want to say. And it was all noobs. It was all people who didn't really know the game? Uh, and Dave Perkins, who hadn't played it for, I think, like 18 months. Okay, that's he, cheating. Dave Perkins totally <laughs> knows the game. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, uh, he did dock himself 100 pretender points, though, to play. And I think he was filling it out. He's still alive as well. Yeah, of course but. he is, because he knows the game. You guys shouldn't have stood for that. You know, no, even if, even if you, like, pull, when you throw a shark in the little guppy pond and the shark volunteers to pull two of its teeth, that doesn't, that's <laughs> Dave Perkins, good Lord. All right, so that, so that game, is that the one you got eliminated from, by the way? Uh, no, that's the one I am still in. We have, there are four of us left, and one of them is a Riley or whatever, and he's not really doing a whole lot. I am playing, it's a middle-era game, I'm playing Shinoyama, uh, I'm having a fantastic time, and... I think reading about how we're playing it, because we, uh, Mysterio, Dave Perkins, Thorn Falcon, I, and myself, we're insulting each other constantly. And <laughs> I think the, the thread, we got a lot of other people into Dominions as a result of it, because it looks like we're having fun, and we certainly have no idea what we're doing. Except for Dave Perkins. <laughs> Except for Dave Perkins. We have, we're, we, we've learned, always kill man. <laughs> and uh, But it's... It's it's the most fun I've had with a multiplayer game, and um, I think there be some people they would be a little disappointed that's not the game I'm actually talking about. But with something like Dominion, you almost need to have multiple people on that area because with a multiplayer game like that, I don't feel like I'm the only one who should be talking about it. Especially because I've already done stuff like equip a berserker pelt on my spellcasters, and then wonder why they cleared the screen in one turn and died. Wait, so, why, why? See, I don't even know what that is, Matt. What does a berserker pelt do? Uh, it, 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 um, it, it makes the, when you put it on a commander, they will then just run attacking everything hand to hand. And I essentially gave it to an old guy who got immediately killed, and it was my profit, no less. <laughs> <laughs> and someone had to point that out to me. Even it wasn't like, oh, that was a mistake. I found out about two turns later when they were still making fun of me for it. <laughs> <laughs> now this. So, so, this one game, is Dave Perkins going to win this one? Um, I'm really hoping he's not. Uh, there are essentially three of us that are left as the superpowers. We're still fighting it out. I'm one of them. And uh, it's between Dave playing Man, Mysterio playing Kalem, and me playing Shinoyama. And we've all learned a bit more of what's going on. Mysterio is kind of like a human Excel spreadsheet playing the game, knowing all the numbers. And I'm summoning things that have neat flavor text, and I'm somehow I'm still alive, and that that seems to be working out all right. Now, which race is Shinoyama? That's not the monkeys, is it? No, um, Shinoyama is the uh, the Japanese-inspired ones. It's okay. uh, goblins and samurais. Uh, and are you? Are you, like, finding yourself now partial? Like, one of the great things about Dominions 3 is the the variety amongst the different sides. Uh, are you finding yourself partial to Shinoyama? Are you done with them? If you play again, would you pick them again? Or are you the kind of guy who would go for a race you've never played? Um, I think I would gladly play them again, but I want to try... I want to try everyone. I mean, it seems to be so many different strategies you can do and so many different, you know, races and viable pretenders and everything. It's just... I don't want to get stuck doing the same thing every time, but there are so many things I want to do different with Shinoyama next time that I play. So the only thing keeping me from being in five or six games of that at the same time is how long the turns take when you get up into 
the 90s and the 100s and everything because we're on a like a four-day timer and I'm still running right up to the edge of it each time. As in one turn every four days? Yeah. Um, wow. It, I probably spend about two to three hours actually sitting down working on the turn, but there's a lot of well, – you've got to factor in like two days of trash talking and making fun of the other people <laughs> for the mistakes they made and hoping no one pays any attention to yours. <laughs> Now, is there much diplomacy? Because there's no in-game support for diplomacy in Dominions 3. Everyone is always at war with everyone else as far as when you move into each other's territory and whatnot. Uh, in these play-by-email games, is there much meta-diplomacy going on? There tends to be. There's One of the games going on right now is all open diplomacy, and so everything has to happen just completely out in the open. And like you can't send PMs or messages to people. Right. Okay. Right. And we haven't done that, and so we've had... Um, there tends to be a good amount of you know diplomacy, some item trading, some uh, I want to you know non-aggression pact. We have to you know three turns and then you know if I have to say I'm going to attack you, it's you know three turns and then right. our our pact is over. And um, so we've had a fair amount of that, but we went uh, full free for all um, about 15 turns ago. And Mysterio thinks it was a terrible idea because everyone's just ganging up on him. <laughs> of course um, he does. <laughs> And we accuse him of being a spin doctor, and you know it's 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 fun, right? Uh, so now, uh, good luck with that. By the way, I, I fervently you. hope, Matt, that you beat Dave Perkins. Uh, it is it is my hope and dream. I'm I'm rooting for you. Uh, <laughs> now, before we transition to Final Fantasy, I just want to ask you: Do you have cats with bells on their collars? Uh, we do have cats with bells in their collars. Have you been able to hear that? I love that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just got a new collar for my cat, and it comes with a little bell on it, and I couldn't I couldn't bear to saddle the guy with a bell, so I took a pair of pliers and took the bell off before I, I put it on him. Uh, but uh, tell me who your two cats are. Uh, the two black cats, Dickens and Lucas. They yep. came with the names. We didn't give them, oh. give them to them, but um works out pretty well. They've... Uh, Dickens has assigned himself to my wife Megan, and Lucas has assigned himself to me. <laughs> and uh, you're mentioning uh, well, we'll, to keep this podcast from turning into nothing but cat stories. Uh, I'll just try and share one, well, two. It, it, you see, it just it it happens. You just start talking about cats. Yep. Uh, you mentioning the bells on the collars. They didn't have those originally, but we decided to um, get something so we could hear them coming before they jumped on us. Well, were they so, they're stalking you? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> they uh they well they they they're not brothers but they think they are so they're chasing each other around the house all the time and it seemed like we'd be going up the stairs and then you know trying not to fall down and break our necks because the cats run underfoot right right so some kind of warning was good and we put the collar on Dickens first and Lucas came looking for the toy and then chased him around the house <laughs> trying to get at the collar that's awesome <laughs> and uh, I posted them in the poster pet thread uh, with one of the stories about them being they you know cats love open boxes that's that's a given mm-hmm. and uh lucas will get in a box and then dickens will close it up behind him and then sit on top of it while he's trying to get out <laughs> that's mean <laughs> now uh did, so you didn't give them these names but uh is lucas maybe named after george lucas uh the the humorous part is is that they assign themselves to the person who likes what they did. My wife reads a lot of classic literature, so she's a huge Dickens fan. Awesome. And I enjoy Star Wars, and so Lucas apparently attached himself to me as a result. Now wait a minute, you say you enjoy Star Wars, you mean the first 3 movies. Of course I mean the first 3 yeah, movies. Yeah, those other 3 don't exist. All right. That's <laughs> 
All right, now Matt, let's let's get down to some nitty gritty here. I Final Fantasy, like you, you <laughs> seem like you seem like a reasonable fella. You're you're a, a daredevil who climbs tall towers. You have spelunked haunted catacombs. You play hardcore strategy games with manuals written by Bruce Garrick. What on earth are you doing playing little uh, dippy JRPGs like Final Fantasy? That, that, by the way, Matt, that's like a that's a deliberately provocative lead-in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I love RPGs, and you know the the types of games I play more than anything else are strategy games and RPGs, which is why I always have a backlog of games that's at least fifteen long. <laughs> and the first Final Fantasy game I played was Final Fantasy VI, originally three on the Super Nintendo. So I hadn't played anything before that. Okay, real quick. So here, here's where I start to get confused. So there's different, say, Final Fantasy VI, originally three. The nomenclature, uh, the, like, varies based on the platform? Like, the same game has different names on different platforms? Um, originally, um, there were, before the PlayStation uh, came out, and you know, Final Fantasy VII came out on there and normalized the naming, uh, there were six... Uh, Final Fantasies in Japan, but only three made it over to uh, the Americas. I see, and they, and they numbered them the, one. It was yes, uh, of them it was uh, the Japanese Final Fantasies one, four, and six became the American one, two, and three. So, for in the states, it looks like the series goes Final Fantasy one, two, three, and then seven, like it just did that jump. Yeah, and that that was weird to me at the time because uh, I just knew the Super Nintendo one was Final Fantasy three, and I was like, oh, I must have missed something. Okay, but then they 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 have since released all of them again over here, and and again and again, and a couple more times on top of that because Square likes repackaging games. But since then, we have they they've caught up and released them all again under the correct naming the correct uh, naming conventions, uh, numbering conventions. But the first one I played was six on the Super Nintendo, and that's actually that's probably the most like the like a Western RPG in that the first half is the the linear um, you know you go from the small little town and gather your party and then go up and fight the main boss, and then um, you know spoiler warning on a game that's you know uh, 19 years old or however <laughs> long it is, um, the world practically breaks in two, and the second half of the game is incredibly non-linear with you going to almost in any order getting your party back together or after you get the first three people you can just go fight the final boss anyway and lose but you can try mm-hmm. um, one of the main complaints with you know JRPGs is how linear they are um, but I've always I've, I love the stories behind them I love the I love the, the overwrought production values mm-hmm. and the one I want to you know, focus on the most would be uh, Final Fantasy 12. The last one released on the PS2, and easily my favorite. Now, uh, oh, go ahead, sorry. Uh, which is kind of a controversial thing, since uh, Square seems to have undone all the things they did in 12 to make 13, which I hate. Now, is 13 the MMO one? Uh, 13, and uh, no, 13 is the one that just came out. Uh, 11 was the MMO, and 14 is the next MMO. So at this point, it looks like the odd-numbered ones are the MMOs. No, wait. 14 is an MMO. Yeah, that is confusing. <laughs> uh, so so when you came to 12, uh, 
had you only played six, or you've been keeping up with with all of them all along? Um, at that time, I, I had played uh, everything except the online ones, but the <laughs> online one, and um, I had played almost all the old ones as well by that point. I don't think I've played five yet. And but, so I go ahead. Oh, and what what makes twelve special? Uh, what I like about twelve, and I'm going to be using Final Fantasy thirteen as a contrast here, so. Um, you're going to be even more lost, I imagine. <laughs> uh, one of the things I really liked about Final Fantasy XII, and the first thing that jumped out at me from the opening cutscene, is how rich and alive the world felt. Um, in past Final Fantasy games, and in pa- most past RPGs, you, know, you go into a, you go into a city. You have six people you can talk to. You have two two shops, one that sells weapons and armor, and one that sells items. And you have maybe three or four NPCs, and one of them will give you a quest, and you keep going. Mm-hmm. And one of the first areas you're able to go in Final Fantasy XII is this massive city uh, named Rabinaster. And one of the things they did, and I, I love this, is you know there's tons of people moving around, tons of you know, different character models you know, going from, you know, from place to place in the background. And you can't interact with most of them, but you know, not that it's really even important. It's just they put so many people in there and had them all active and doing things that that jumped out at me as feeling a lot more alive than previous Final Fantasy games. Mm-hmm. And that kind of richness carries on with the entire, um, you know, the entire world of Ivalice, which is where uh, FF12 was set. And I actually I jotted down a couple notes so I wouldn't forget everything I wanted to talk about. Now, now you but, say, uh, so you say you, you come in and the world feels alive. Uh, give us some context here. Like how old? This is a PS2 game. You said this is a PS2 game. So this is how how I I can't believe I don't know this, but how old is Final Fantasy XII? When did it come out? Uh, came out on I'm actually checking uh, October 31st, 2006. Oh, okay, so it's so like it's, five years old, four years old then. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, and and now it's still an overhead uh, view game, right? Like you're still moving your little. It's not first person or anything crazy like that. You're moving your avatar around, yeah. Yeah, it's not. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of an isometric thing. Your camera's behind right. the main character as you move around, so it's not. Yeah, it's not first person or anything. Uh, and uh, it's I presume fantasy style. You know, there's no sci-fi trappings. It's the the typical sort of JRPG anime look. Is that that's correct? There's a little bit. Um, it's it, a lot of people have pointed out Star Wars as kind of an inspiration behind Final Fantasy XII. Mm-hmm. That um, it's not you know, thirteen is full sci-fi, and twelve is you know it's it's decidedly not. It's 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 not quite. It's it's not heading to steampunk, but it's got a lot of you know there are tons of airships. You know it's not the you know the the sails and rotors type, but it's. You know, it's, it's practically, you know, you, you practically fight X-wings that way, you know, or they want to cut things, <laughs> they, they come swinging by. But it's it's a lot of it's, you know, it's a lot of a lot of airships, a lot of uh, aerial activity, uh, but it's still a lot of you know swords and sorcery. You're still primarily going up and hitting people with large weapons until they fall down. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, before we talk about some of the mechanics of it, tell me a bit about uh, is one of the things that I subconscious that I sort of uh, stereotype. The, the Final Fantasy games for is having long clots of exposition early on. Uh, is that the case in twelve? And is that a fair thing to say about Final Fantasy games? Um, 
me think. Twelve, I wouldn't say that. Uh, Twelve actually gives you full control of the party pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, the the opening the opening cutscene is not very long by Final Fantasy standards. Uh, you have the tutorial area where you're controlling a um, a character you do not control again later, which does a fantastic job both setting up the story, or the setting up of the controls and establishing the story. Um, does the character die or something? Um, uh, what the hell? Spoilers for a four-year-old game. Yes. Okay. You're playing the, uh, the the older brother of the uh, the assumed main character, Vaughn, who uh, at the end of it gets stabbed, and you have a pretty um, kind of unsettling cutscene of it from his perspective of him dying, with you know. You know the the vision fading in and out, the eyes opening and closing, so the screen goes black and then comes back, and it's all fading, faded and distorted, and you just hear his, you know, the voices you hear in the background of people talking, you know, establishing the plot and this, you know, this scheme that's unfolding. It's getting harder and harder to hear because all you can hear is this his breath just getting raspier and harder to control until finally he gives up and, you know, essentially dies. And up until that point, you thought this is going to be the character I'm playing. Um, not really, because the other guy is on the you know, the other guy is part of the group on the cover. But I see. still, <laughs> spoiler box it, art. Yeah, <laughs> it's still, uh, it still it still comes across as pretty unsettling because you're just it's not that you expect him to live. You just don't expect him to die like that. Right. Right. Uh, all right, so then it, it so then it transitions to you've got full control of the party. I mean, you're, it's not then another two hours of movies or, or something. No, you've you've got you're out fighting pretty quickly, and you know actually getting you know, engaged with the whole system mechanics and how all that works. Um, you know, it is it is a linear game, and JRPGs are linear games, and oftentimes people use that to be a negative. But one of the things that Twelve does really well is Mix in. It's. I'm trying to think of the best way to really describe how the world is set up. Most JRPGs and in every Final Fantasy game up to this point, um, you're running around in the overworld. You hit a random encounter. The screen fades out, and then you're in a completely different screen. And then you're in the. You know, they select your options from the menu and fight. Right. Twelve did away with that entirely. Oh. You know, anything that's on. You know, you're you're moving your cast of three around, and. You know, from you know, huge screen to huge screen, and any monsters that are out there, you can just you know, go up to them and seamlessly fight. It has a people point out as kind of you know MMO mechanics of being able to you know just run up and engage people like that, which hadn't really been done in a JRPG that I knew of. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was a huge shift as far as the um, as far as the entire series went, and. It's one I really liked. I thought that was, you know, a huge breath of fresh air. Um, I thought it was a you know a really rewarding battle system because then you're able to you know normally if you're casting buff cells or or whatever on yourself they're completely useless because you're not going to need them again in 30 seconds when the battle's over. Mm-hmm. But you know that was one thing that was actually a little more rewarding in 12. You're able to use those effectively because they carry over from battle to battle. So well then, I, I'm. How does this work then? If uh, so, if you walk up and you you start a battle, it's not you're you're not selecting attack, defend, spell, flee. Like you don't have that little menu with the four entries on it. Is that is that correct? 
You have that menu, but you also have uh, the Gambit system. That's which... what I was going to ask you about, because I've heard about this Gambit system, and I only know the name of it, but I don't know what it means. So, so go ahead. Uh, you're essentially setting, you manually set up the AI for the, the entire party, mm-hmm. and you've got a series of, you set up a condition and an action. And, like, for example, the, the basic one would be, you know, to, to replicate pressing the attack enemy button, you know, 10,000 times, you set it to, you know, foe closest, tar- you know, foe closest or, you know, party leader's target attack. And that way, anytime someone comes in range, your party will, by, de- by default, attack them. Mm-hmm. And you can set up a list of commands in order of what you want um, everyone to be doing. Like, if you have someone you're going to have in, involved with, you know, you know, the healing aspect of it and casting the, you know, Kiraga spells, you set up your ally hit points less than 30% Kiraga, and you slot that above the attack command because they'll go down in order, checking each one of those conditions every time their action comes up. And so you have, eventually, uh, 12 slots and almost a r- ridiculous amount of conditions you can set up where you can have if someone is blind, use the eye drops on them to remove that. If someone gets, you know, turned to stone, there's an item for that. If the enemy is flying, use this. If they're weak to ice, cast blizzard. If they're weak to fire, cast fire. And what it does is it automates a lot of the busy work that beforehand you were just going into a random encounter, press X to finish it up and keep going. It was, you know, it's artificially lengthening the game. That in this and streamlining it, they make it. They mean I enjoyed going out and just fighting random battles and watching this well-oiled machine of my three party members just lay waste to an entire screen at a time. With um, with instead of me having to micromanage every single set, every single action they did, was I did all that beforehand. I think it's the difference between tactics and strategy, mm. and. I really like that. I really like being able to set up a uh, an almost seamless method of controlling it and just letting them go. Then you get to a boss battle, and it's good to have those as a, as a base. But you're doing a lot more reacting and uh-huh. changing what you're doing as soon as the difficulty goes up for a boss encounter. Now, Matt, this reminds me of two things that I'd be curious to hear you comment on. First of all, uh, does it at all make you think of the combat and what's cool about the battles in, in Dominions? Um, it does. There is a lot of that in the One of, I, I, I am very bad at, and also really enjoy setting up all the the battle conditions. In the <laughs> yes. But then it almost sounds to me like, uh, did Dragon Age just rip this off wholesale, or? <laughs> or uh, has, yes, Dragon Age ripped this off wholesale. <laughs> Holy cat! Because <laughs> when you're describing it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's just like Dragon Age. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I forgot. To, I, I forgot that you had played Dragon Age. Yes, it is. It is a lot like Dragon Age's. I don't even know what they were called. Their tactics or something. And um, so that's what Gambit. And so this is called the Gambit system. Uh, yes. I say. I say. Now, do you do you unlock gambits, or is it like Dragon Age where you just get more slots to put in more conditions to put in more rules? Um, you do, there is, there is some unlocking. You actually, one of the things that people uh, lampooned a bit about Final Fantasy XII, and I, I, I can't argue with it, it is kind of silly, is that you are buying the gambits as well as, you're buying the equipment and the ability to use the equipment. So you have to, with, you know, license points, essentially you get XP and LP. And one goes for abilities, one goes for leveling up. 
mm-hmm. and you spend the license points to unlock stuff on the uh, the board. And there's one set for you know additional gambit slots, which lets you you know, make another condition and action and other character buffs, and the ability to teach someone how to wear a correct hat. <laughs> You're making that up. You just totally have been that. I'm, I'm not making that up. <laughs> Wait, no, no, Matt, uh, let's take a quick commercial break, and then I want to come back and hear about this hat. So we'll be back <laughs> in 30 seconds to hear about the hat. Apologize. We have never taken a commercial break before, but uh, my cat was meowing and wanted in. <laughs> so <laughs> that is the first and only commercial break ever in a quarter to three podcast. Uh, so, all right. So we're back. Uh, you teach characters to wear hats. That's part of the game system that you unlock. Um, and you you are you are making that up. That's not really in the game. Uh, unfortunately, I, I wish I was making that up, but um, part of it is it's the idea of unlocking better types of armor, and w- one of them is, uh, you know, okay, this character can now wear the fifth uh, heavy armor set, and before that, he apparently couldn't figure out how to put the helmet on or which way the visor went. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, that's like a gameplay contrivance. I, I'd buy that. Uh... Yeah, I didn't really have too much problem with that. <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a strategy game called Imperialism 2, and one of the the ways that they gate advanced production is you have to bring in I think it's fur to make fur hats for your advanced workers. Uh, so, and, and you know what else game? What other game hats are hugely important in Matt? Team Fortress 2, I understand, has a, unlockable hats are a really big deal in that. So I've, I, I've been hearing. I haven't played it myself. Yeah. Uh, all right, so one of the, another thing I want to ask you about, and I do want to make sure anything you have on your notes that, that we touch on, but something that that is a barrier for me, and I think for a lot of RPG players with games like Final Fantasy, and I'd be curious if this is an issue for you, is you don't have that sense of ownership of your character that you might in a game where you can create your own character and your own class and pick your spells and whatnot. Uh, the Final Fantasy games if I'm not mistaken, the characters are dictated so heavily by the story already. Um, is is that an obstacle, or is that something you like about the Final Fantasy? Um, I tend to enjoy, I, I like that, but I also play the RPGs where you you know, create a character and continue like that. You know, I've got you know, I've, I've if um, whoever it was that did uh, the Baldur's Gate series, if, the, if that wasn't already taken, I probably would have talked about ah, that. Right. Um, I adore that, but I. It doesn't really bother me in a lot of you know. There's sometimes I want to play a game where you create a, you create the main character, and then there are times where I want to just play the story. Mm-hmm. And I've never really had a problem with playing what they put when you playing the characters that they give to me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that 
for me, it's, 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 torment isn't exactly a good analogy, but you're also not creating a character in there either. And I don't think anyone has, not too many people have had problems playing torment. Are there characters in Final Fantasy XII that really stuck with you, or it, either for good or ill? Are there any that you really liked, or any that you found annoying and hated? I don't think there are any characters that I really... And I thought the characters in Twelve were actually among its strongest points, mm-hmm. because one of the best things about Twelve, and this is also one of my bullet points, is the subtlety. A lot of times in JRPGs, and Final Fantasies included, um, they, you know, they, they make a point, and then they hit you over the head with it a few times. But a lot in Twelve almost happens in the background, where you... Know, you and that's one of the things that also makes the world feel more alive. There's a one of the little cutscenes you run into is uh, the one character Ash and the other character Balthier, uh having a conversation about you know what what got them to this point. And the two uh, young younger kids in the party, you know, like, you know late teens, Vaughn and Penelo, run ahead, and you just hear them in the background bantering at each other as. Uh, Yvonne's trying to convince her to, you know, go in the ocean. It's the first time he's seen water for the longest time. Pinello's telling him he's out of his mind. And so many games don't do that kind of secondary dialogue in the background, and it really helps bring the characters more to life. Mm-hmm. Um, the, my, the, my two favorite characters in 12 are both members of the party, uh, with Balthier and Bosch. Balthier is the... Uh, the, the charismatic sky pirate. You know, he's playing the Han Solo role of the uh, of the game, mm-hmm. and uh, voice acted excellently by Gideon Emery. And my wife is a huge voice acting nut, so I've started to pay a lot of attention to that. And you know, I notice who's doing what role. And but they do a fantastic job of, you know, he's he's the devil may care sky pirate type, and he's also linked very strongly to one of the the villains of the piece and you know there's a lot about Balthier that they actually don't really even mention during the game you don't know how he met up with his partner Fran you don't know how he got his airship uh, which is you know the party's airship gets him from place to place so much goes unsaid that because it's not important to the story mm-hmm. you know where you are in 12 is just a portion of the world evil east. There's, you, know, you can see on the map there are countries off in the distance that just aren't important. And it makes the world seem bigger and in a way a lot more alive when you're not the biggest deal that's ever happened here. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I'm not doing a fantastic job explaining it, but that is one of the things I really liked about it. No, no, you're doing fine. So tell me about, so that, that's the Sky Pirate. Who's the other guy you mentioned that you really liked? Uh, Bosch von Ronsenberg is the... Uh, <laughs> It, it, we uh, there, there are some some funny names in there. <laughs> and now, who is he? Why why do you like Bosch von Ronsenberg? Uh, Bosch is the uh, he, he's 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 kind of the knight of the party. He's in the beginning of the game. He kills his own king, and by and then uh, the the character you're playing at the beginning, and is thrown in jail for it. And partway through the game, you know, again spoilers, I suppose. Um, that original character's brother, Vaughn, uh, along with Balthier and Fran, find Bosch uh, locked up in prison. He's been you know, beaten to hell and back, and they let him you know they, they let him come with them, but not before Vaughn tries to kill him himself. 
And then you find out that it wasn't him that did it. It was uh, his his brother who had you know, also betrayed his kingdom but went to the, the Empire side. But what they do with Bosch is he's a... Um, he was kind of your king and country before all else, and he's trying to atone for what happened, even though it wasn't actually him. And one of the, I actually have something about him over here that I was wanting to look at. Um, but kind of his, his arc through there kind of focuses around one of his uh, phrases. You know, if I could protect but one person from war's horror, then I would bear any shame. I would bear it proudly. And they do a really good job of playing kind of that duty up, especially to a princess who doesn't trust him at first. And he kind of, be, it's not quite that he becomes the father of the party, but that's the role he, he's kind of the role he plays. And originally he's supposed to be the main character, but Japan has something against having older men be the main person of the party. And instead that was given to the 16-year-old. Oh. <laughs> but, um, 12 is probably the closest game to having a... Um, a, a, I'm completely falling apart on the word. And I'm, thank you. An ensemble cast ah. versus a central main character. Right, right. So, you know, seven is Cloud, eight is Squall. This really isn't anyone. It's it's all six of them, to an extent. Now, how do you like Square has always seemed to be uh, particularly good with localization, at least recently. The recent games that I've seen, they they take such pains to not make it sound like an awkward translation of, of Japanese stuff. I mean, so many of Atlas's games, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's obvious that you know they've just done the bare minimum of localization. Uh, is that the case back then with these Final Fantasies? Did you feel like they were localized well, like they 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 really translated well to to an English audience? Um, I think the two games that probably that I play that struggled the most with poor localizations were Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII. Mm-hmm. Um, VII had a VII just had a bad translation, which is I think why they made the whole compilation of Final Fantasy VII and the sequel movie to explain just what in the hell happened. <laughs> no one really had any idea. And eight uh, eight's my second favorite of the Final Fantasy games for a lot of the reasons the same as twelve in that there's so much under the surface that you and so much so much subtlety that you get from reading between the lines and really paying attention to all the incidental dialogue that isn't said during the main plot which still works just fine by itself but when you start to pay more attention uh, it gets a lot richer a lot more rewarding mm-hmm. now I, I don't know if you can do this Matt uh, and because this might be something that doesn't work really well in a genre like JRPGs or even RPGs in general but can you say what Final Fantasy XII is about? As far as here is the sort of the message of the story, or here's the overarching, you know, like like someone could maybe look at Lord of the Rings and say it's about a, a small character living up to his obligation, even though it's difficult and he doesn't want to. Uh, can you summarize Final Fantasy XII that way? Uh, should be able to. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy XII is primarily about a combination of destiny and free will. About the idea of two separate groups working for what they don't even realize is the same goal, which is taking control of their own futures versus having it be predetermined for them by, essentially, gods. Wow, that's very nice, Matt. (laughs) Very well done. Did, Did you... 
Did you know you were going to be asked that, or was that off the cuff? That was off the cuff. Very well done. But it is it is one I've thought you know it is one I've th- thought about a lot. Final Fantasy XII's plot is it's it's one I adored, mm-hmm. and so um and you know my wife watched me play, and so we we have some pretty spirited discussions about these games both while we're playing them and after. Uh, probably our biggest fight has come over Final Fantasy X. Oh, that's awesome! What did you guys fight about in ten? What what, uh, what caused the marital strife? <laughs> uh, the, the marital strife in Final Fantasy X was caused about uh, differing interpretations of the game's theme of sacrifice at the end. I love and that. <laughs> we got to the point where we couldn't discuss it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, there's a there's a famous, and I'm not going to know which Final Fantasy it is, but there's a there's a famous like point where. Does Cloud die or Sephiroth dies? Or there's somebody who dies that supposedly makes... It's like an example of when a video game makes you cry. Do you know what I'm talking about? Who is it that... Uh, that's, that's in Final Fantasy VII when Sephiroth kills Aerith. Oh, Aerith dies. Right, right. Okay. Uh, was that... Uh, are, did you cry? <laughs> I did not cry. Uh, I, was, I, did, <laughs> I didn't expect it. Because at that point, I hadn't played a Final Fantasy game that had a a permanent character death. I was not expecting that. Right. And um, now, is that is that a fair moment from the series to lift out as an example of the maximum emotional impact a video game can have? From the series, um, like has it since been eclipsed for you? I would say it's been Eclipse, uh, and that might not really even be the game's fault. Um, Seven comes from that early time in 3D graphics where you go back and you look at it, and uh, kind of the super deformed blockiness of it detracts a little bit from the story in a way that the sprite-based graphics of the earlier games on the Super Nintendo, the SNES and everything did not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the super deformed uh, giant mittens for arms <laughs> that they have... Uh, makes it a little harder to swallow. Uh, as far as emotional scenes in a, uh, in a Final Fantasy game goes, um, but my wife has a point. Hang on. Uh, uh, she points out a scene that I also thought was very good. Uh, in Final Fantasy X, mm-hmm. um, to give a very brief recap of the plot there, um, the main character you play as, Titus, is on a journey with a summoner, Yuna, and all of her guardians to defeat a, uh, a recurring ancient evil named Sin. And in so doing, they use something called the Final Summoning, which defeats Sin, but he returns you know, X amount of years later. And there's a scene where, on the soundtracks, I adore the music, uh, the soundtrack scene is called The Truth Revealed. And it's where Titus discovers the truth about the final summoning is that it kills the summoner. The summoner is sacrificing him or herself to give the rest of the world some level of peace, even if it's just for a short time. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, um, Titus completely loses it and just starts yelling and screaming at the other people because they're trying to you know, find and rescue Yuna. And he, he, he never knew. And... One of the things he's yelling about is both to the other characters, Waka and Lulu, you know, how could how could you let her go through with this? I mean, she's like a sister to you, and you're just letting her march off to her death. And I never knew. I've told her all these things that I want to do once we finish. We're going to see Zanarkin. We're going to you know, see all these places that you've talked about. And I never knew. All this, all along, I've been an idiot. And he's 
I mean, he's yelling and screaming, and then he just completely just falls apart. And it's probably the, I mean, it's the most emotion that had been shown at that point, and in a series that had been kind of notable for stoic, you know, never say anything protagonists. Uh, it really jumped out at you, and it helped turn Ty's. I was I was annoyed by Ty's beginning of the game for being kind of you know never taking anything seriously and being pretty immature. And that really did a lot of great character depth and, you know, growing his arc of maturing. So if I can just get pretentious very briefly, Matt, hearing you describe that, uh, and it's no accident that what I'm thinking of is also Japanese, makes me think of, uh, like, Akira Kurosawa movies. Like, I think of, of Seven Samurai, where Toshiro Mufune is, is just a... He's, he's very stoic, uh, but, but in... A Kurosawa movie where a character like that breaks down, they break down so dramatically and they get so over the top and and histrionic, uh, you know. And I don't know if that's like uniquely Japanese, if I'm just being like it's a, a racial stereotype. But I think of Kurosawa movies where where a stoic character just completely loses it and goes over the top. Uh, so there, there's my little pretentious beret wearing uh, contribution <laughs> there. <laughs> Now it sounds like you uh, are soured on. Is it thir- so? Thirteen comes after, and you mentioned like contrasting twelve and thirteen a lot. Do you, do you like? Did you feel that? Did you not like thirteen? Or was there some problem with thirteen? Uh, Final Fantasy thirteen is the first Final Fantasy game that not only did I not finish it, it's the first one I immediately gave back. What's uh, wrong with it? I- what happened? So much of what they did in well, so much of the things that I loved about Final Fantasy twelve, you know, the, the the whole world design, the the subtlety of it all. Um, one thing, one of the weird things I like about Final Fantasy twelve is the bestiary, and I'll explain that because that seems kind of nonsensical at first. Um, whenever you just kill any of the random monsters in the world, you know, your bestiary updates, and the, there's two pages. The first page is a really nice bit of you know hand drawn art of the creature, and then a uh, just a, a whole little bit of writing about how it kind of fits into the ecosystem mm-hmm. of the area it's in, or some little story about how it came to be. Like a, um, the, the Marlboro King was uh, someone that, you know, a, you know the, the legend says it was a, uh, a greedy person who put on a cursed crown and was cursed to become this you know, hideous plant monster. And... When you and then it tells you if you kill like eight of them, you get the second page. And the second page is a bit of you know background on the world, or explains you know a, a story behind one of the items that you pick up from it, like you know an Antarctic wind, and you know what what the story behind it is, how it was created. You know, like the, I don't know what that one was, but like you know the breath of a demon imprisoned in X area, and so much of that just gives the game so much life, and you can tell so much effort went into the world building. They explain why there are creatures that kind of use electricity, but also why it was never used on a widespread scale. And that's not, that's not important to tell you in the co- course of the game, but it's really nice to fit in there. And it kind of reminds me of um, Mass Effect has that too. Ah, you, right. You do all the, all the optional reading. That's not required. And in contrast, Final Fantasy XIII, for you to understand just what in the hell is going on and who these people are and why they're reacting the way they are, it's mandatory reading to go into the data log and figure something out. You know, there's a cutscene where, you know, the character Hope and the character Lightning, um, he's, she, gives, she gives him a knife for some reason. 
you know, to be able to defend himself with it. And he looks at the camera hangs on it for a long time, <laughs> and she's really hesitant about giving it to him. And you have to go into the uh, the data log to find out that it was a present that you know she got from her sister. And they show you a cutscene that says that you know like an hour and a half later. <laughs> but it would have been really important to know that beforehand. And to have any idea of what any of the characters are thinking, because no one ever says anything, they just kind of stand to the side and mumble, uh, you have to, the data log tells you what everyone's thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13 seemed to be a game where, I don't know, just they threw so much aside of what, you know, they wanted to make these fantastic cutscenes, and they forgot to make a game around it. Right, right. Now, is 13 the one that has, like, that's, is that one that's infamous for having such, like, a whole lot of exposition before you actually get to start playing? Um, the, the, oh, uh, they don't give you control of the full party. The ability to select who is in your party in Final Fantasy 13 for 20 hours. Now, that's, you are, you're also making that up, like, the thing about, I'm, that's not true. 20 hours I've, before you're actually choosing your party and doing what you want. Yes, you are. They, they they try and support. It's it's technically supported in the story, which is you know you're on the run. So there are no, you're on the run from you people trying to find you. So you there are no cities. So you never go in and inter- there is no NPCs in the entire game that you 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 willfully interact with. And that's one of the things that I really liked about twelve. Again, to kind of use that as a contrast, was all the people you could talk to and all the little stories you would come across. And in 13, there isn't any of that. You shop out of a, uh, essentially, it's like you're pulling up Amazon on your cell phone <laughs> to do your shopping when you go to a save point, as opposed to even talking to a shopkeeper. Um, you know, the, the complaint everyone points out is, you know, hallways. The game is, you know, it's like playing Doom 3, the RPG, where you just run from one end, fight boss, you know, fight some enemies, and keep going. And that comes up a lot in the, uh, the re- I remember that coming up a lot in the reviews of it. And it's something that bothered me a lot, too, is that, again, not that you know, JRPGs aren't linear, because most of them are, mm-hmm. but the better ones at least have the decency to lie about it. Mm. Now, uh, what what would you recommend to someone who's never played a Final Fantasy? Like, is, is 12, like, a great way to just sort of jump in and see the best of the Final Fantasy series? Hmm. If I was going to recommend someone get started on one... Because six would, sounded what you the the overarching structure you described in six sounds pretty cool. Um, I six is a good one to go with. Um, absolutely. Uh, I think ten is also good to start with because ten I think was their first really good, really good story, mm-hmm. and um, helped by Fantastic Four. That was the first fully voice acted one. And, you know, it helps that Tyus is done by James Arnold Taylor, who uh, also does, you know, Ratchet, for example, in the Ratchet and Clank games. And he's a phenomenal voice actor, and he, you know, completely brings the character to life. And, you know, you empathize a lot with him, because he plays him very well going from the, uh, com- you know, kid completely in over his head to a much more, you know, mature person by the end of it. Um, Ten is not incredibly difficult. It's... um I think it does a lot of really neat things with the story, and it's a good set of characters. 12, I think you almost need to play one of the other ones before you go into 12, so you can under, you can kind of appreciate more all the things it does differently and how much of a risk it was for a company that kind of had a reputation for putting out the same game over and over again. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Before I ask you one final thing about the Final Fantasies, uh, what are your other bullet points? Did, did we have, because I asked you to write down sort of significant bullet points. Did we, do, are there any left over here that we missed? Um, one of the things that I liked about 12 was the, uh, the, were, the, were the villains. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the villains existed in 12 um, you know, for reasons beyond I'm going to destroy the world now. Uh, I think someone summed up Final Fantasy VI as, uh, you know, this guy wants to destroy the world because he's a dick. And <laughs> it works really well in that respect. I mean, I think, you know, the uh, Kefka, the villain in Six, is a you know, phenomenal villain. I had a great time. Uh, just, you know, he's, he's hilarious all the way through. But what I kind of touched on the theme in what I was trying to describe 12 as a theme for is... Uh, they're sympathetic villains, not to the point where you want to redeem them or you know think that oh well you know it's just it's terrible the things ended up this way, but their motivations are essentially the same as the parties. They just take a completely different method of getting there, mm-hmm. and I thought that was you know very well done. And you, know, you go through a lot of the game, assuming you know who the main villain is, but. You're, you, it's like you're never a hundred percent sure, because you know the motivations are completely understandable, mm-hmm. and you're all going to this, you know, trying to, you know, put destiny back in the hands of man versus the gods, and that's what you're doing as well. He's just doing it a different way, mm-hmm. and a lot of that goes almost understated, and I think the subtlety is one of its strong points. Mm-hmm. Is there is there religion in the Final Fantasy games? Uh, there's there. Some games place more emphasis emphasis on uh, than it, and, uh, than others do. Uh, religion is probably one of the major points in Final Fantasy X, for example. And in twelve, it's less about religion and more about the creators. Mm-hmm. Um, Thirteen did not have any religion, as far as I know. And a lot of the other games, uh, you. You fight an angelic being at the end. That's kind of the, the given thing. Japan has no idea what religion is, so at the end you kill God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's it's not often a huge core point. Right. All right, so here's the question I have for you. Okay. What is the deal with chocobos? <laughs> um. Chocobos are large, flightless birds that have a fantastic theme song. And um, Chocobos are... have a theme song. Chocobos have a theme. It is a, it is the same in every game. Like, can you hum it? Like, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's, a it's a tune. There's a chocobo tune. Um, I can, I'm from, I can, I can see if I can play a little bit of it. That'll come across my. Uh, I don't know if that would be good or bad. How is it that uh, you have at your fingertips the chocobo tune, the chocobo theme? Because uh, I own every Final Fantasy soundtrack, that's why. <laughs> I was hoping we get through this podcast without that becoming common knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> well, now actually, Matt, I've heard that you know when 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 they do like these video game concerts and whatnot, like the the Final Fantasy soundtracks get props. Like I think they're they're widely recognized as 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 the best in some of the best instances of video game music. Uh, so so I. I I, I would be more alarmed, Matt, if like you owned like owned the Doom soundtrack, for instance. <laughs> I, I do not have the Doom soundtrack. Right. Now, there's a there, there's a touring orchestra called Distant Worlds that does uh, Final Fantasy music, you know, live in concert as a full orchestra. I've been twice. 
Wow. So did they? Uh, now here's the, here's the question, Matt. Did you travel to see them, or did they come to your little town in, in Kansas? Uh, we went to um, Minneapolis for the first one and Chicago for the second one. As in, you happened to be in those cities and you caught the show? No. no we, we, sp- <laughs> we, we specifically traveled uh, for that purpose. That's actually kind of cool, Matt. Uh, dorky, but cool. Uh, all right, can, can we hear the Chocobo theme? Do you have that? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me see if... Uh... But the thing is, it's not, do I have it? It's which version do I have? <laughs> <laughs> so chocobos are, are they sort of an in-joke, or they're just part of the ecology of all of the games? They are part of the ecology of all of the games. And um, and you ride them, right? They're mounts. Yes, they they are they, they are the replacement for horses. Are there no uh, horses in Final Fantasy? They, I, have, I do not believe I've come across a Final Fantasy game with a horse. Wow, okay. Uh, and chocobos are like they're like good-natured things. Like they're friendly. You like them. They're not like camels who are rude or something. They're like they're cool. They're your pets. Yeah. Oh yeah, they are. They they are always presented in a very endearing fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, many times there's a mini game around them, such as a uh, you know chocobo racing in Final Fantasy VII, or um, uh, there's there's a terrible racing mini game in Ten that uses them. And I'm I'm blanking on one of the other ones. Is I think in Final Fantasy VIII you have to find baby chocobos in forests. I love that. Now, now thirteen goes to sci-fi. Can they carry over chocobos into their sci-fi? Um, chocobos, the chocobos are there. Are some wild chocobos on the uh, the the kind of wild land area you come in, and there are also some chocobos in an amusement park you hit. But um, you know, chocobos and moogles are probably the uh, the two big. Um, Mascots of the Final Fantasy series. And what's a Moogle? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> is that like a cat? Um, a Moogle is kind of. It's a. Uh, is he the thing that has like a, a little like a puff ball on a string yeah, sticking out of his a head? Little, a, a little bonbon type thing sticking out of. His yeah, head. I totally know what those are. Why do I know what those are, Matt? Oh my god! No, I you know what they're. Well, they're 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 part of geek culture by now. I want to say. You know what, there's there's all these, like, Final Fantasy licensed games that I've played that I don't realize. Like, there's a, a, there's a fighting game called Dissidia on the PC, on the PCP, on the PSP <laughs> that, uh, that, that I only, that I got into and only later noticed that it had the Final Fantasy name on the, on the title. Uh, so I'm sure there are things like that. Oh, is My Life as King a Final Fantasy licensed game? I, I think uh, My Life as a King is a, is a licensed Final Fantasy thing. And I think um, a Moogle is the, sort of the narrator, so that's why I know what that is, is from playing games that I probably didn't even realize were in the Final Fantasy universe and seeing the little guy with the, with the bonbon on his head. Yeah. Um, all right, can we rock out now to theme to Chocobos? Um, yes, I, I will play the Chocobo theme now. I look forward to this. I would rather hear you hum it. I hope we- <laughs> but I'll accept uh, uh, playing it over the mic. I try and you know, refrain from singing chocobo music at random intervals during the day. <laughs> All right, let me not see. in public. Let me see if this comes through. Hopefully, I won't uh, do something terrible to our sound. All right. Good luck. As soon as it wants to play, iTunes taking its okay. I can, I can, I can faintly hear it. 
That, okay, that's yeah. the theme from 12. I heard that. <laughs> that that was the Chocobo theme? Yes. It sounded very uh, mischievous. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a version of that in every Final Fantasy game. Very nice. Now, uh, along the lines of what's the deal with Chocobos, I don't know if you're ready for this. I have a completely random question to ask you that has nothing to do with anything that we've talked about. Are you I ready for I'm this? Ready, but I, 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 um, I, th- I think so. I've answered one of these correctly before to the point where you got me my copy of Assassin's Creed 2, which I just finished. So, um, I'm oh, ready so, for So you won back before I was just handing out all of my crappy Wii games that I'm trying to get rid of. <laughs> you actually got yeah, a good I, I actually got a good one, uh, which I, I just finished last week, actually. I finally got around to it. Now, by the way, so you got that because uh, uh, Eric, I'm going to screw up his name, Magkut, I, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, got an extra copy from Ubisoft and sent it to me and said, hey, why don't you give out a good prize instead of one of your crappy ones sometimes? So, so you lucked into a good game. Uh, Am I the only person that's gotten something that didn't come off your refuse bin? Uh, yes, you are. And, and the thing is, like, I, the, thing is the, the refuse bin actually did have some good things, but those got given away pretty quickly. So we're now scraping the bottom of the barrel, as it, as it were. Um, so uh, the, the random question that I have for you, uh, and anybody who is on the forum can post in this thread for a chance to win, and I'll explain the rules for, for how to win. But here's your random question. All right. Automatic or manual transmission? Uh, for me, I would have to say um, automatic because I do not know how to drive the manual. You're one of those guys. I am one of those guys. If I were able to, that is absolutely. I mean, if I, if I knew how to drive a manual, and at some point I hope to, that is what I would drive. But I would have to say, for me, regrettably, automatic. Now, now, Matt, I've got a good ten years on you, so I, I'm curious: is is this automatic manual thing? Do you think it's generational? Like, do guys your age? generally not ever have to learn how to drive a manual transmission? Because when I was learning to drive, automatic transmissions were kind of, a, I guess, not a luxury, but they certainly weren't as common. Uh, do you think that's a generational thing? I don't, I'm don't. i not 100% sure. Um, a lot of the people I know that are around my age uh, do know how to drive a manual. I just, um, I didn't drive for a while. I didn't you know, really get into that for you know a couple years until after I turned 18. So I took my time. But you know, most of my friends knew how. So wait a minute, what, what's be... going on that you're not champing at the bit to start driving at 16? What's going on that it takes you until you're 20 before you start driving? Um, I don't really have a good answer for that. <laughs> Just for some reason, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> and so when you finally learned, you never really picked up. If say there was an emergency, could you like say they're doing one of those Final Fantasy concerts in Chicago and you've got a certain <laughs> amount of time to get there? Could you jump into a manual transmission and make it work? I am reasonably certain that I could do that. Okay. So I'm assuming when you play driving games, maybe you don't, but when you play racing games, do you not turn on manual transmission? Um, I'm trying to think what... I, I don't tend to play anything very serious as far as racing games go, so... You're not a Forza um, dude. No, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a split-second fan. Okay, yes, you can't even do manual transmission in split-second, and you wouldn't want to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's not the point. Well, so, so you, because I just want to say, I so, to me, the experience of driving is so, like, like, a manual transmission is such a part of being in tune with the car and making the car go and getting it to do what you want. When I was growing up, I couldn't imagine not driving a manual transmission. Now that I'm older... 
I can appreciate the convenience of an automatic transmission. It's a huge pain in the butt to be like, you know, drinking a coffee or whatever and also having to shift gears. So now that I'm older and driving to me is just a matter of like getting from one place to another and it's less about how cool cars are. I totally am into automatic transmissions. But uh, so you, so you're you're an automatic guy as well. All right. Uh, my my wife's uh, take on the automatic versus manual is that for as much as she's paying for the car, it can figure out how to shift itself. <laughs> Very well put, Megan. Nice. <laughs> uh, do you guys have one car or two cars? Uh, we have one car, and it's uh, an automatic have... transmission. I take it. Yes. All right. So you're you're also lucky in that if Matt, if you and I are ever like on a super long road trip, you never have to take a turn driving because I have a manual transmission. <laughs> so. It's kind of uh, easily yeah. of you. <laughs> I, I, the goal is to go through life with as little effort as possible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See, if you get invited on the next road trip to see a Final Fantasy concert. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so if you're listening, post in the automatic or manual transmission thread. And now here's the rule. To be eligible for the drawing to win a free game, Matt, you automatically go in there. Uh mm-hmm. You have to in the you have to in the body of your post a woman's name must appear. Now, how you're going to work that in there, I have no idea. That's up to you. But if you post in automatic or manual transmission, and if your post includes a woman's name, uh, then you go into the drawing for a free game. Uh, before we go, Matt, uh, what are you digging these days? What, what, what games are you playing? Um, I am play. I'm kind of bouncing around between things. Uh, just finished up Assassin's Creed 2, which right. was fantastic. Um, I have the ever-present Dominions games. Uh, I've actually just started playing Age of Wonders Shadow Magic, which I picked up on eBay for a fair amount, but have never played before. I'm really looking forward to trying that out. So did that come from really digging Dominions and wanting to get a, a sort of a different take on the fantasy strategy thing? Uh, primarily. I've, I've always adored turn-based strategy games. Um, I played... I Probably one of the earliest ones I really got into was the Heroes of Might and Magic series. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, Dominions I adore. I've heard a lot of good things about both the Disciples series, uh, minus three, which I understand is rubbish. So I have Disciples 2 Gold I haven't really fired up yet. I've got Age of Wonders Shadow Magic, which is a, a good deal of fun. And anything that comes out that is strategy in any way, I'm probably going to buy it sooner or later. What are your your thoughts at this point on Elemental? Um, I have just stuck my head in the beta a couple times. I'm, I'm hoping it's fantastic. I, I've, I've, I've got it pre-ordered, um, especially because they're going to give me a cloth map if I get the collector's edition. Ah. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for things like that. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I can't wait for that to come out and for me to play nothing else for like a month straight. Yeah, I, I've avoided the beta too for the the reason that I I kind of I, I want them to finish it before I look at it and form an opinion. Uh, yeah, same here. And I go into that you know there's an elemental thread on the forum and there's a lot of naysayers in there and every now and then I duck in and I I kind of wince and worry that oh maybe it's not going to be a good game but that's kind of not fair because they're talking about it from the perspective of the beta but uh, and I've liked the other star I've, I've really liked the other startup games I've played. Yeah. Um, I. I I had to play Galsiv to about uh, a dozen times where I finally understood it. But once I did, it was fantastic. Yeah. And it was really good up until that point, too. I just, every now and then, my economy would crash. I wasn't quite sure what happened. 
I'm, I'm in a in a perverse way. I'm kind of looking forward to that learning curve in Elemental. I mean, Brad does not just do Civ clones like he. I, uh, Brad yeah. Lavelle, the guy at Stardust, he he sort of marches to his own beat, for better or worse. Uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to joining that parade when uh, when Elemental comes out in August. However, that turns out. So speaking of joining parades, when can we expect you to uh, jump in the next Dominions game? You know, if I'd known, okay, so Dave Perkins is all like, ooh, let me join your newbie game. I'm not that good. I'll take the points <laughs> off to my pretender. Ooh. I'm actually, I bona fide suck. So if I had kind of known, and it's my own fault for not ducking into the thread, but I would love to join a newbie game. I have not played in forever. Here's my problem with jumping into Dominions, Matt, is I so don't know the magic system. And and that's a huge, because you kind of have to early on set up, okay, here's what I'm going to do with what spells to research, and here's how I'm going to use them, and here's what I'm going for on the spell tree. Uh, it can't, it's, it, you can't really play it like Civ, where you just pick things as they come up. Uh, that's not really going to serve you very well, uh, like with the tech tree and Civ, where you'll eventually get cool stuff anyway. So that's always... I think the- at our skill level, you'll actually do just fine doing that, because that's what I did, and I'm alive at turn 94. See, that's exactly. Like, I, I would totally join a game with guys like you who are just sort of blindly feeling their way through it. I mean, I love Dominions 3. I've played it plenty, but I have never really learned the magic system. Uh, and, and, and with that also, part and parcel of that is, you know, crafting uh, the artifacts or the magic items for your, pre- uh, your pretender or your uh, heroes or leaders or whatever they're called. So if, if it's with other people fumbling around blindly through the system, I would love to join a Dominions 3 parade, as it were. Uh, when uh, when, when Sep Train ends, uh, the, the three of us remaining, uh, Dave, Mysterio, and myself, are starting another one. Um, I'll let you know when that's starting. You definitely have an invite in for it. Uh, I, you know what? I will, I will join you guys, but I have to wonder, what the heck? Why doesn't Dave play with kids his own age? <laughs> Dave is like, Dave, okay, Dave Perkins, I'm calling you up. Dave is like the guy who's graduated from college, who's graduated from high school, is off in college, and he keeps coming back to hit on the sophomores in high school. <laughs> Good Lord, Dave Perkins. <laughs> uh, I would love to join a Dominions 3 game. I miss that, that game. I still have the manual. I love... I, I mean, I, I just, I, I love that game. I love its documentation. I love its imagination. I love the way it unfolds. So, yeah, next time a newbie game starts, I will definitely join you guys and, and fumble around with you. Don't don't get too good, Matt. I'm worried that you're going to get too good. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I've uh, I, I've managed to flub a lot of things here. Um, <laughs> there, there's, a, there's an information thread about how, you know, things to look up and resources for Dominions. And one of the points on there is how I took a guy from – First level water magic to sixth level water magic in four turns. And then two turns later, the spell I did that for was dispelled. So <laughs> well, a lot of work to immediately get the door slammed in my face. <laughs> and, and, Matt, I want you to keep using those berserker pelts, too. <laughs> I, I will. Just, just for you, Tom, I will. <laughs> Well, Matt, it's been great getting to hang out with you. I've, I've certainly known you on the forums for a while. I've, I've, uh, it, it meant a lot to me what you did for me for uh, Secret Santa, so I really appreciated getting to talk to you today. Uh, thank you for hanging out with me. This has been a lot of fun. I was really looking forward to it. And for those listening, uh, join the uh, automatic or manual transmission thread. Be sure to use a woman's name in the body of your post. Uh, and everyone else, join us next week. We will be discussing, with a mystery guest, we have a, a new way to unfold the, the, the guest list on the, the 
on the podcast. So next week we will have a mystery dis- guest discussing Lost Planet 2 with me. So uh, join us for that. Matt, have you played Lost Planet 2? I have not played Lost Planet 2. Should I? Uh, maybe, maybe not. It's a weird one. It's not for all tastes. It's a, it's funky. I think it's very Japanese. So I don't know. We'll talk about it next week. Listen, and then if you do play, uh, I'm always up for unlocking stuff in co-op. So we'll see. I will definitely give that a listen. All right. So thanks, Matt. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we will see everyone here in a week.